This week on Thinking Biblically, I'm going to answer the question, what's the New Testament for? Welcome back to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all Scripture speaks to all of life. I'm recording this on Tuesday, May the 10th, 2022. Hope to post it the same day. Uh, it's a very important day because today is my wife and my 42nd wedding anniversary. It's just blows our mind to think of all the years that have gone by, 10 children, 8 grandchildren so far, and um, and it's just amazing to think of these two kids from the Cote St. Luke area of Montreal, uh, growing up in the same area, both coming to know Yeshua, Jesus as our Messiah in our late teens. Uh, we actually knew each other when uh, we were kids. We were in the same public school together. We actually went to the same Yiddish school to learn the Jewish language Yid Yiddish. Uh, after regular school, three days a week. We were in the same class for a couple of years. We weren't friends back then, but we became friends after we both became believers. And then it was a few years later, we we got married 42 years ago today. It was a wonderful day. It uh, it was a beautiful, uh, a beautiful May weekend, and um, we'll leave it at that. But uh, we have much to celebrate, much to be thankful for. And um, my wife always listens uh, to my podcast at some point after I post them. And so I love you, Robin, and so grateful for these 42 years. All right. I, I want to give you some background about how I came to wanting to deal with this subject of what's the New Testament for. Uh, there's a lot of Bible readers, people have been reading the Bible their whole life, never even think of asking such a question. And what's the New Testament for? Well, it's God's Word, and, and why do we even need to ask that question? It's, it's such a utilitarian sort of thing, like, and we may not like to be thinking about uh, the Bible in terms of, you know, what's it really for? But um, actually, we could probably talk a long, long time about the whole Bible, what the Bible is actually for, but there's some particular th uh, things that the New Testament is all about that I think we kind of miss. Not kind of, I think we really do miss, and so that's why I want to discuss this. And the the, the issue came to mind while I was reading a, a book on a bit of a different subject. Um, I've, I've been going through my books lately. Um, and uh, came upon this book that was given to me as a gift from my son Daniel. He was taking a course with this man, uh, Byron Wheaton. He's a pastor and uh, and professor, and uh, in fact, this copy signed by, by him. I've never met Byron. Maybe after talking about this, we'll get to have him on on, uh, on thinking biblically. But this book is called Matter Matters: Being Disciples of Jesus in a World of Things. Um, and it's fun to say matter matters. Uh, and it's because matter matters. And it's something that I'm, I'm struck by, continually struck by, how, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to talk about it again, uh, the, the, the fact that for a lot of New Testament believers, followers of Jesus, there's a disconnect between the, the material realm um, I tend to call the material world, but there's really one, biblically speaking, there's one world, there's a universe that God created that contains uh, these aspects of, of the material, visible, physical world, and the spiritual, invisible 
world. I did it again. It's just keep talking about them as worlds. They're not worlds. And they're all part of one world, one universe that is so complex that we can't fully comprehend it. I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend it. But God, the creator, created this complex universe that has these various aspects to them. And an essential one, well, they're all essential because without it, we wouldn't have what we have. And what we have is is a, like what, uh, Byron Wheaton says it. We're in a we're, He uses it too. A world of things. Things make up the world in which we live. We live in a material world. It's not material only. Even for the atheist, they don't know how the the pure naturalist doesn't know how to talk about the unseen aspects of life. I'm not going to get distracted by by talking about that. And you know, for the for many believers, believers in, in, in Jesus, there's this way of looking at the world where there's as if the spiritual aspects are more important than the physical aspects. But that's not how God thinks. That's not how God made the reality in which we live. There's these different aspects and they're all important the material world, I did it again, the material realm, the material aspects. Maybe you can write me and, and give me a better way to say this. Um, I might have to go with world, but we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, the, the material realm in, in which we live has been tainted, affected by the curse that God pronounced upon the universe due to the mishandling of that world by our first parents, Adam and Eve. The way things were supposed to work was that God was going to inform us human beings who are called to be in charge of planet Earth in particular, and we were to represent him as his image in this world. But what happened instead is our first parents in a sense, bowed to, bent towards the material world by listening to the creation through the serpent and became um, subservient to the creation rather than rulers of the creation. And we've been suffering from that ever since. And part of the plan of God, a key part of that plan is to restore the world into what it should be and even better as we're anticipating what the Bible calls a new heavens and a new earth. And that's a way to describe a renewal of all aspects of God's creation, both the unseen and the seen. And uh, one, of the, one of the ways that the world has, bro has been broken, the effects of its brokenness, is this disconnect between the spiritual realm and, and the material material realm. Every now and then in the scriptures, we see uh, how the, in a sense, the veil is, is, um, is lifted and people are able to see into that spiritual, spiritual realm. And in many ways, the spiritual realm uh, invades the material realm from time to time. And we're going to look at that. One of the things about the, what we see in the New Testament is how the, the prevalence of the spiritual realm, the impact of the spiritual realm goes on to a, a new level in preparation for the full restoration that will come one day. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I, I want to, let's get back to this, 
this book and how this book led me to talking about what I want to talk about today, which is what's the New Testament really for? And so um, uh, Byron Wheaton is looking at the importance of the material realm, and that's all through Scripture. And uh, there's a chapter in which he's talking about the topic of stewardship, which I believe I've commented before. It's nothing I'll comment again. It's so core to everything about the, the world in which we live. Uh, the, we have been called to be caretakers or stewards of the creation. That goes back to what we call the creation mandate. Uh, Adam and Eve and all human beings ever since Adam and Eve were directed by God to f- fill the earth with, with offspring and subdue the earth and rule over the animals and and all creation. So we were to be uh, rulers um, of the creation under God's rule. That That was the order of things. And so first and foremost, before anything that we are, the role that we are first given as human beings with regard to the universe is that we were to be stewards of the creation. So, um, Dr. Wheaton talks about that, and and um, much of what he says is taken from Old Testament. And so he makes this comment in, in I, don't, I have it written down, so I don't need to read it from the book. Uh, there's a, what I want to read here from page 99. He says, does, does the New Testament confirm this Old Testament pattern of responsibility for God's world? It's not as evident as the Old Testament's teaching to be sure, but there are some indicators that suggest that this mandate is still important. And as I read that, I sensed this kind of insecurity with regard to, does the New Testament fully affirm Old Testament teaching? And there are some people with so many issues that would automatically go no. That somehow there's this understanding that whatever is taught in the Old Testament, if it's good at all, is kind of substandard to whatever we have in the New Testament. Uh, and, And that's that brings me to the first thing that the New Testament is not. The New Testament is not the new and improved Testament. Yes, everybody, you were used to the Bible the old-fashioned way, but now we've got this new and improved Testament. And so now that we have the New Testament, we could throw out the Old Testament because it's run its course, it's become obsolete. Um, and there's references to certain elements of the Old Testament that might be obsolete. We're going to get to that. Uh, but in terms of how the Old Testament functions, it's not as if it's the it's the play up to the New Testament. It's not the uh, the, the backstory, which is an interesting one. Uh, you know, this idea of backstory. So you might you see a movie. Um, and maybe there's a few movies uh, about characters and their development and things that are happening. And then people want to know, well, what's something like the origin story? And writers w- will often make up a backstory, uh, origin stories, after the later stories. And so when that happens, uh, the backstory, it, it's it, they're fun, but they're not actually necessary. And you could do without those backstories. Um, but that's not what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament isn't the backstory to the New Testament. The Old Testament is essential to the overall written revelation of, of God's Word. And so it's not as if the New Testament is the actual Bible. Uh, it's, it was very common to have, you know, you can get New Testaments by themselves. 
and uh, and I can explain. I'm going to explain why that's not actually sufficient. And even though, well, in one on one hand, it's not that it's bad to have a New Testament by itself. And and very often when the Bible is translated into languages for the, for the very first time, often it will be New Testament books that are translated first, uh, and maybe even a whole New Testament before they ever get to translating the Old Testament. And that's not in that's not entirely a bad thing because the New Testament depends on the Old Testament. The New Testament assumes the Old Testament. And so even without a hard copy of the New Testament on hand of the Old Testament on hand, the New Testament is so built and so saturated with Old Testament that that it's not as if you're you're necessarily completely losing out. It's still better to have a whole Bible at your disposal. I don't know if that was my best explanation. Um, again, write me. Let me know if there's a better way to say that. Uh, and so, we're, so the New Testament is. It's not like it's the new. It's not the new improved one. It's. It's really. It acts more like a sequel to everything that comes before. There is a sense that the Old Testament builds up anticipation for something that the New Testament uh, brings to realization or fulfillment. And we're going to talk about what fulfillment means in, in a moment. So there is that, that there was writings before, and then there's these later writings, and the later writings depend on the older writings, the earlier writings, uh, and provide the next thing. And so the New Testament is a very important next thing, and we're going to talk about that. What, are, what is the next thing that the New Testament brings? But it, it isn't as if, and, and this is what um, I was reacting to in, in this, this quote from, from Wheaton, and maybe we'll have him on the show. I would love to talk to him about matter matters, because matter matters far more than we tend to think. And that's why he wrote his book. And I'm burdened about the same thing. So, you know, maybe we'll be able to, to discuss this further uh, in the near future. But even the fact that he had to say, well, here's here's something in the Old Testament that's really, really important. It's, 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 it's you take notice of this. Now when we get to the New Testament, well, it's not, this subject isn't really here. And there's other things that are like that. This subject's not really here. It's not really talked about. So can we really justify this as very important anymore? I don't know if that's what he was implying, but I think that's what a lot of people think. That if something's not really mentioned in the New Testament, well, maybe it's not important anymore. And so that's why we need to look at what is the New Testament really for? And so before we get into that in, in particular, I, I do want to comment on this title, the New Testament, as well as the, the Old Testament. Those are actually misleading titles. So let me explain. So the term testament is actually a synonym for the word covenant. That's what testament means. So we're dealing with Old Covenant and New Covenant. So in a sense, the collection of books that we traditionally called the Old Testament. Those are the Old Covenant writings. That's what Old Testament is supposed to mean. And then the New Testament is the New Testament writings. Now, the thing is, the Old Covenant writings contain more than simply the Old Covenant. Um, so if there's issues, if, if the New Testament 
is 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 the is the covenant sorry if the old covenant is what is in force now and the old covenant is not in force then there's a sense in which that the writings of the old covenant become obsolete or irrelevant and that is that is not the case we're going to talk briefly about relationship of old covenant and new covenant very briefly because we don't have time uh, but there's so much to the writings of the collection of books that we call the Old Testament, there's so much more than the particular covenant given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. As well as the important fact, and maybe I'm talking about it a little bit now, is that there's so much in the writings that are relevant to the Old Covenant given by God through Moses that have all sorts of universal implications and applications. So, um, now we're going to talk. I'm going to save that. We're going to talk about that a, a little bit later, and I do talk about that more in my Old Testament course, um, and it's still there, available for you on my website. So, if you go to alangilman.ca/otcourse, you can get my 20-week Old Testament course. All the videos are there, all the supporting materials. So, you might want to check that out. And I get into to uh, many of the issues about the old testament in that course obviously uh, so i'm not going to be covering that today because we want to look at what the new testament is actually for um and so let, let, let's move on uh, interesting the new testament doesn't use the term old testament to describe those earlier writings rather the new testament uses the term scriptures refers to the scriptures the scriptures say sometimes it might simply refer to moses relating to the books of moses or to david for the psalms or isaiah concerning his book or the prophets without mentioning which prophet uh, a quote is from um, a more technical way of referring to the that collection of writings is found in luke chapter 24 uh, in, in verse 27, Yeshua refers to Moses and the prophets in referring to those writings. And then in verse 44, he refers to Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And that was a formal way to refer to that collection of writings. And that is still common today. Uh, the Psalms stand for what are called the writings, uh, Proverbs and and and, and the other other writings that are not either the five books of Moses or or the prophets. So we've got Moses, the prophets, and the writing and, and writings. And so in Hebrew, Moses for the law of Moses, that's Torah. The prophets is Nevi'im, and the writings is Kituvim, and that becomes an acronym, Tanakh. So very often when you see uh, a, a, a Bible printed by a Jewish publication society, it'll be called the Tanakh, the Tanakh standing for Moses, the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so, in the New Testament, the New Testament assumes what assumes the Tanakh. I often like to use the term Hebrew Scriptures to refer to that earlier collection of writings, because again, Old Testament gives that impression of like old and finished with kind of idea, old, bad. Um, now, having said that, just like my struggle with the word world or earlier, the term Old Testament as the title 
for the Hebrew scriptures is so common, it's very difficult not to use it. And so when I did my my course, my Old Testament survey course, where I gave an explanation similar to this one, I call it Unleashing the Old Testament. Again, the thing is, if I use Hebrew scriptures, Tanakh, there's a lot of people that wouldn't even understand what that's referring to. And so because Old Testament is so common, I, I, I use it, but to try to explain but I'd explain the negative parts, ne- negative uh, aspects of that idea, uh, ex- explain them away so that we understand um, the Hebrew scriptures in the way the writers of the New Testament would have understood them. When it comes to the New Testament, I often use the term New Covenant writings instead, again, to, to get away from the more, that negative contrast of Old and New Testament. That may not be negative to you. You might already understand these things. I, I get that. But, um, so as I was saying, um, the New Covenant writings assume the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, it assumes them to be the Bible of, the, of that day. So when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, he writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul reminds Timothy of the power, the effectiveness of the Hebrew Scriptures. That was the Bible of their day. They didn't use the term Bible. If, if you're not aware, the English word Bible simply comes, uh, it means books, because it's a collection of books. That's why Holy Bible is, is one of the ways referred to, the, you know, this holy collection of God-inspired authoritative books. Uh, but it's as far as the New Testament day was concerned, when they talked about what we now call the Bible, they were referring to what we often now call the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was the Bible of the first century community of followers of Yeshua. That was their Bible. And not only was it, the not only did they understand it to be God's inspired word, these were books, special books from God, Paul was telling Timothy that they were sufficient to equip people for effective godly living. And most people don't think of the Old Testament as satisfactory for uh, living, for the information that we need to live effective godly lives. But Paul thought so, and if he thought so, that should be good enough for us. Now, that doesn't diminish in any way the New Testament, but we need to understand that the New Testament completely depends on the Old Testament, and it isn't necessary for the New Testament to reiterate everything that is in the Old Testament because the community that, that, through which the New Testament emerged believed that the Old Testament was the Bible. Now, eventually, they understood... Uh, the entire Old and New Testaments as the Bible. That would take time. But God's word to them was what we call the Old Testament. So then, if if the Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures, Tanakh, if that's the Bible, how then does the New Testament really function? What does it bring to the overall revelation, written revelation of God's word? 
if the Old Testament is sufficient, according to Paul, for people in his day to live effective godly lives, what does the New Testament add? What is So then what is the New Testament really for? And so let's go over what the New Testament actually brings. Some of this is taken for granted, some of it might be obvious, but I think it's helpful if we're going to understand the whole Bible, and that's what thinking biblically is all about, helping people see how the whole Bible speaks to all of life. Um, in order for us to do that, we need to see how the different parts of the Bible actually function so that we can relate to those parts of the Bible in a, in a much more effective way. All right, so what's the New Testament for? First of all, the New Testament, particularly through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, established that the Messiah has come. Now, for followers of Yeshua, that seems to be obvious, but we need that documentation. So, the Hebrew Scriptures anticipate the coming of the Messiah, and there is so much allusion and, um, and foreshadowing and uh, 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 prophecy that prepares the people for the coming of this special deliverer who is the anointed one, the Messiah. And as you probably know, the, the word Messiah is derived from the Hebrew Mashiach. The Greek translation of Mashiach, Mashiach is Christos, and that's where we get Christ from. So Messiah and Christ are completely synonymous, means the exact same thing, and it's a title. Um, and it refers to the special uh, rulership of this of this special person. Um, and so basically, it's a role of king. And, uh, and so the four Gospels establish for us that the Messiah has come. It doesn't only establish that he has come, it also clarifies his mission. So while there is so much in the Hebrew Scriptures that anticipated the Messiah, exactly how he was to live that out and the, what the implications of his mission were and are, that was, wasn't entirely clear. And the Gospels, as well as much of the rest of the New Testament, all uh, inform this clarification of what he really came to do, what is he all about, what was the mission that he came to accomplish, and then what does that mean for the rest of us? And so... Um, his coming and through the writings of the Gospels, um, we see what the prophecies really, really meant. Um, there were various wrong notions in the anticipation of the Messiah. The, the Jewish people believed he was going to come and he was going to lead an army to, uh, to push back the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of God through Israel at that time. That What's a major thing that's explained is no, the Messiah had to die for our sins and rise from the dead first. Remember, the early followers of Yeshua didn't even understand what that meant when he when he tried to explain it to them. They didn't understand until he had risen. Uh, that was all anticipated in Hebrew Scripture, but they didn't fully understand it. The, so the Gospels clarify that. Um, and then so we learn what the purpose of his death really uh, was, that it was for the sin of the world, and his resurrection breaks the power of sin and death. 
Um, and a lot of that is more worked out in, in the letters later on in the New Testament. Um, but we start to see through the teaching of Yeshua in the Gospels of, of how we are to live in this special time period that we're in that uh, has been called the now but not yet. The Jewish people believed that Messiah was going to bring about completely what's called the age to come. And he not only were the, was he going to defeat the Romans, he was going to bring about the final judgment, the resurrection of the dead, and so on. And that's not how things were actually going to be worked out. That's all coming. But we're now in this in-between time where, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, all authority has been given to Yeshua the Messiah, and then he sends out his followers to, to, to teach his teachings to all the world. And in this in-between time, we are called to live a life that's reflective of when God will fully reign in this, what the, this idea of the age to come. We are to live that out now. And we could be filled with God's power now, and we could see all sorts of, of, uh, of reflections, of manifestations of the age to come through healing, through deliverance, through restoration, through re being reconciled with God. All these things are to happen now as we continue to anticipate uh, the Lord's return and the final judgment and the resurrection and so on. And so the, the Gospels begin to teach us how to live in this, in this time. What also happens in the Gospels is um, King Messiah clarifies for us how the teaching of Hebrew Scripture is to be lived in our day. We, we, we see uh, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, Matthew, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he'll say things such as, you've heard it was said, but I say unto you, and some people have taken that to be uh, his way of contradicting what God said through Moses, but that's not what's happening there. What he's doing is he's clarifying for his followers what God really meant. He's the great rabbi properly interpreting Torah for, for us, and you know, by his time, there was such misunderstanding about what Bible, what we now call Old Testament, what it actually means. And he was clarifying for the people then and for us now when we read the Gospels, we can see what God's actual intention was in revealing his word through Moses and the prophets and so on in, in the older time. Also, the Gospels help prepare Yeshua's followers to bring the good news of Yeshua to the nations of the world. But then we move on in the New Testament and we see further implications of what does Yeshua's coming, his death and his resurrection mean for us, his followers. Now, so now that he's come, now this is a major difference between the Hebrew scriptures and the New Covenant writings is in the Hebrew scriptures, Messiah is anticipated. In the New Covenant writings, he's now arrived. Well, so the, what does that mean for us? Uh, has anything changed? Is anything different? How are we to be equipped to, 
to live out uh, a new covenant kind of life. And so a big one we see in the early chapters of the book of Acts is the long anticipation, the long anticipated outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So in the prophet Joel, it talked about how one day the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, would be poured out upon all people. In the Hebrew Scriptures, we see how the Holy Spirit would come upon particular individuals for particular times, but it wasn't a general thing. And that's a whole topic uh, unto itself, which I won't get into. But anyway, so it wasn't a general thing, but there would be a day when all of those who've entrusted themselves to the God of Israel would experience the impact, the saturation of, uh, the filling up of, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And we see the beginnings of that in Acts chapter 2 at the festival of Shavuot, Pentecost, which is coming up in a few weeks. Uh, and, and now the followers of Yeshua are equipped spiritually in a way that had never happened before in a general sense. People like King Saul, King David had experienced that sort of thing. Now all believers have access to the power of God in the Messiah's name through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so that's a major contrast between life in the days of the Hebrew Scriptures and life in this New Covenant era. And so what we have uh, is now with the establishment of the New Covenant that was established, we see that established at Yeshua's last Passover, he establishes the new covenant that's in the Gospels, and, and that's in fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 31 that anticipated an, a new covenant where our sins would be forgiven, and uh, God's word, his directives, his Torah would be put in our hearts, and we'd be his people in this, in this very, very special way. And so we see that established um, at the end of, of the gospel stories. And the rest of the New Covenant writings give us the implications of, of what that really means. Um, and so along with that, and, and this is something that really wasn't, ex wasn't expected, this next thing really wasn't expected, it is anticipated in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that is the implications for the nations of the world. So going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we see that Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations, that he, if he would go to this land that God would show him, that God would make him great, make his name great, give him this great people, and so on. And through him, meaning through his descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And I've, I've understood that to mean the breaking of the curse, that that all that negative brokenness, evil, disease, and death that's affected all the world through Abraham's descendants one day that all would be broken it it and the the curse would be removed the blessing of God would come and so it was believed that when God would send the Messiah and he would restore Israel and give Israel the new heart as promised in in, in Ezekiel and put 
Torah in our hearts as promised by Jeremiah and bring us back to our land and, and all these things, that all these wonderful things that God would do for us and, and his, his Torah, His Word would go to all the nations of the world and His glory would fill the world as the waters covered the sea and, and these sorts of anticipations. It was thought that God would do this great work among Israel in a sense only and the nations would experience the blessing as a sort of spillover effect. So that as, as God would bless Israel, restore Israel, make Israel all that it was supposed to be, that it would have an effect, a positive effect on the rest of the world. What was not understood, however, was that what God really intended was to make all believers of all nations part of his family. That while uh, there are still distinctions, I believe, and we're not going to talk about it here, between the Jewish believer and the non-Jewish believer. There is another very important sense that we have been all integrated into one family of God. This idea, Yeshua mentions this in the Gospels, that uh, people of, of every tribe, nation, language will come and sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that was no one would ever in those days would have thought in those terms. Yes, they could get the, the gleanings, they can get the leftovers of the blessings that kind of fall off the table, sort of thing, and maybe in great abundance. But to sit at a table with the patriarchs, that that was simply was not acceptable. And so we see in the New Covenant writings that that was always God's intention. And so much of the New Testament deals with the issue of the goodness and reality of God coming to all the other nations of the world and what that means for being the family of God. And so uh, we see how the, the New Testament establishes the place of the nations in the plan of God. Paul refers to this as the mystery of the gospel. We see this in, in, in Ephesians in particular, um, where, where he talks about that. He also talks in Ephesians about the one new man. And it's probably something we'll have to talk about in, in, in future podcasts, what really is the one new man. Uh, and so, um, from what I understand, the one new man is this coming together of Jewish and non-Jewish believers as, as united in the Messiah. Um, but I, I do believe, as reflected in Romans chapter 11, the metaphor of the olive tree, that there, even though there's this unity, it's a unity in diversity. As I said, I don't want to get into that in detail here. But it, it, is, it is a unity. And we see this unity issue being dealt with in some of the New Testament letters as Jew and Gentile were coming together in these fellowships. And then that caused problems. And those problems needed to be uh, resolved. And so we have um, Paul mainly teaching on that. Um, in, in the New Testament establishes the ongoing re uh, <laughs> ongoing relevancy of the of the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. Uh, so for example, Yeshua's resurrection, according to Paul, is based on, the scriptures, and that's so important. There's a lot of interest, and I really appreciate um, looking into all sorts of evidences for this magnificent feat of Yeshua's resurrection. But first and foremost, 
the significance, the meaning of, the basis of his resurrection is based on Hebrew scriptures. Um, I've already talked about how the New Testament affirms the, the Old Testament as scripture. And there's so many elements about that. You know, God is creator. Um, the, it's in the, that's where we, we learn about God as creator mainly through the Hebrew scriptures, his character, his holiness. We discover the purpose of human beings and how to fulfill that. That's much of what uh, Byron Wheaton's book, Matter Matters, is about. You know, what's our relationship to the created world in which we live in and how important that is? Well, there's so much of that that's, that's in, in the Hebrew scriptures. But since the, the New Testament affirms Old Testament and, and affirms its ongoing relevancy, then we're able to, to turn to the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures to learn about such things. So the purpose of human beings and how to fulfill that purpose, the value of life, um, and so on. And there's so many practical life instructions that we uh, encounter in Hebrew Scripture that isn't necessarily reiterated in the New, but because the New affirms the the Hebrew Scriptures, we can go to the Hebrew Scriptures to learn about fair business practices, building code, um, human sexuality and human relationships, elements about how to tend our fields, agriculture, how to treat the poor and provide for them. All that is derived from Hebrew Scripture, and, and over and over again we see quote after quote and allusion to and reference to uh, Hebrew Scripture in, in the New Testament. Now, there are some differences, and we've talked about that already. So, it's in the New Testament era that we're still in, in which Messiah has come. We're not, we're waiting for his return, but we're in a messianic age of, of a great degree. We've talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out, the inclusion of the nations. And another one that's a major contrast uh, between um, what we discover in the Hebrew Scriptures compared to the New Covenant writings is we're under a new system. And that's a major, major contrast. So the system that God established by which, in particular, the people of Israel were to know God was what we call the Levitical priesthood. God established uh, the tribe of Levi or Levi uh, that Moses was a part of um, to be the tribe that looked after the tabernacle and then the temple and the whole sacrificial system, and then a, a subset of Levit of the tribe of, of, of Levi were the Kohanim, the priests, the sons of Aaron, Moses' brother, and the priests did the actual sacrifices. And so the, the whole sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the temple, that was all part of the system through which God was to be related to. And with the coming of the Messiah, we see a change in that, uh, that system. And we read about that in detail in the book of Hebrews in the New Covenant writings. And, and we see there how with this change of this system, so much changes. But what changes? And that's, that's a major question. And I, I've done a presentation. It was part of my Unleashing the Old Testament course. I'm going to put a link to this particular presentation where I talk about is the Torah, the law for today. And I explain some of this in greater detail. You might want to look that up. Um, and so there are these, there are differences, especially 
now in, in our relationship to God and how God has resolved the alienation problem for both Jew and Gentile. He's now poured out the Holy Spirit. He's given us access to his very throne room. But in terms of what human beings are for, how we are to live, sexuality, some of the things I've already mentioned, so much of that is firmly rooted in Hebrew Scripture. And so then the New Testament becomes the bridge primarily for the non-Jewish world, not not, um, exclusively, that's not what it's all about, but primarily we see the New Testament functioning as a bridge to the non-Jewish world to bridge the truth of God as revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures, bridge that to the world as well as understand the implications of how then shall we live now that the Messiah has come. And so how do we live out Scripture, which is first and foremost the Hebrew Scriptures, how do we live that out in this New Covenant Messianic era and as Jew and Gentile together, and whatever that means, whatever that together is supposed to look like. So please let me know what you think. Send me your comments and questions to comments at thinkingbiblically.org. There's so much more that could be said about this topic, and we're going to get into the finer details as we go along. But let's continue to explore how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically. Thinking Biblically.